We just had to fix things, family, six things, we can't split up. As for the rest of the game, I'll do man dirty, man, I get two time. To me, that's just our side. I don't really care who rides on whose side. Bring 10 shots to the poolside. Never seen none of these grown men outside. 4301 won't spare no one. Niggas got to know about Southside. Stepping out of line, get outlined. And you know I'm tied up stateside. Bring your man down when it's... All right. We're back once again, folks, live in Greenwood. Bonjour, shalom, and what's up? And welcome back to episode 86 of how you live in 86 the year that marty mcfly is trying to get back to oh yeah and our episode the show recorded live in the Chaz tower again that's how you get to see the Chaz tower and it's a little different yeah and the million dollar studios (laughs) shout out look at where we spent all that money i know look at all those millions of dollars it was uh millions of dollars it was a hundred thousand dollars on the equipment and nine hundred thousand dollars on Chaz's faberge egg collection that's that's what people don't know that's uh, the real story today I'll folks see, I'll see, I'll see, but I'll see uh, today folks now that you are seeing how the sausage is made uh we start this sausage making process with a quick question to me to my friend Chaz. how you living Chaz? i'm doing all right michael uh how about you uh things are going good you know picked up a new ride gonna get it all winterized for the uh snowboard season which we are in it is the last throws of 2019 here and uh and we haven't got a lot of snow in the mountains so i've definitely been given uh gifted a little bit of extra time to get my ride ready for that uh otherwise just getting set up for the uh 2020 celebration uh and we'll be once again recording in our first uh election year prior to an election yeah, I know. Uh, well, presidential. We, we've done the midterms. Right. And yeah, in the midterms, it seemed to go okay. So like, let's see. Uh, just finished watching the debates. It, it actually took me a long time to watch these debates because I heard a lot of like comments from it that it was like more substantive than some of the other debates. And I was like, in, in watching, I was like, I thought that too. Uh, and uh, we're, th- these ones were hosted on uh, PBS. Was yeah, the PBS ones. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I only know that because of the uh, SNL sketch during the Eddie Murphy <laughs> episode. Yeah, uh, that they did a uh, impression of Judy Woodworth, who's the, uh, <laughs> the PBS host. And uh, yeah, so w- what did you think of that? It was uh, less people than previous ones, as some people have dropped out of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, I think since we last recorded, uh, Kamala Harris is out of the race officially. Um, Michael uh, Bloomberg is now in the race, but he wasn't invited to that particular debate. Yeah, no, you needed a certain number of like polls and such and uh, campaign contributions in order to get to it. So. Uh, I don't think he had enough of the time, but Michael Bloomberg's basically spending his own money to get all his votes. Okay. Um, and I was, uh, funny enough, I was uh, listening to Left, Right, and Center's um, most recent episode, which was actually fo- focusing on the center, since the host of it is in the center. Uh-huh. And uh, they were talking about how, like, Michael Bloomberg's strategy was uh, trying to go after disaffected, or maybe originally it was going after disaffected uh, Bush Republicans. Uh, but then they felt that might be a little bit ineffective that Democrats through like independence can't actually win the election this time. So that was interesting about the Bloomberg sort of thing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I know I've been doing, um, if you've been listening to the previous episodes where I've done deep dives on candidates, I'm not going to do a deep dive on uh, Mayor Bloomberg. He, like, he got added too late. That's his fault. Yeah. Like, no. And then there was some other dude who got added to that don't really, uh, that doesn't really matter. I don't think I did anyone like, uh, 
Cory Booker or um, let me see, Bill de Blasio. I don't think right. I got around we, to We've those. talked about Cory Booker. I mean, yeah. we supported him as a senator. He's done a lot of good mm-hmm. things for uh, New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken, right? Is he? I believe so. That's where he was the mayor. Yeah. Of, like, yeah. Jersey yeah. City. Yeah. Um, he's an interesting candidate. I mean, he's kind of in the middle um, generationally between mm-hmm. like the Buttigieg and, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Clinton slash kind of Bernie uh, generation so mm-hmm. so you know appropriate if he was to be elected in that age group of kind of being able to bridge those two worlds you know a lot of people think uh pete is running a little too early you know mm-hmm. and he kind of more fits into that kind of where obama was age-wise when he got elected so yeah because obama was like 40 or 50 48 like, something yeah like that. yeah um i do want to say since we're already talking about debates and we've talked about it we are officially in our very first segment of the show the sh- segment that started with our second episode which is callbacks so oh, yeah. we're calling back to our discussions about the democratic debates right now um but yeah it'll be interesting obviously this is all following this is our first post impeachment episode oh yeah that's so true. call back to all of our impeachment talk that's true uh he has not been removed and the articles of impeachment haven't been delivered to the senate yet nope not uh, yet. kind of a political move a little bit mm-hmm. but um officially impeached uh what are your thoughts on how that process turned out and the kind of what you think is going to happen now that the Senate's the next piece? Uh, I mean, like, I guess to kind of bring it to the debate slightly, because that was the first question they got at the debate was the impeachment and basically saying, like, how are you going to get um, the American people on board with impeachment? Uh, but, like, yeah, I don't really, I don't know. Like, I don't, I think if people feel as though Trump is their voice and keeping them in office is how their voices are heard, it doesn't matter how much corruption he does in the process like they're just going to support it anyway so i i don't i don't know i don't have an argument to get to the hearts and minds of trump voters that his corruption is wrong and his corruption should be called out on right. um <clears throat> i mean i think it was necessary because, I mean, we've talked about it. We're, mm-hmm. I'm in the camp that I don't really think he's going to get removed. No, he's not. Yeah. And so, um, at first, when I kind of heard it, I felt like it was like a lack of focus. It was kind of um, pulling away from the ambition of the Congress in order to actually get some things maybe done that they could. But I kind of see it now in a different light because, obviously, it's brought a lot of information to light. There's actually mm-hmm. been criminal charges that have come out of this. Yeah. Some people have had to leave their positions of power because of uh what was brought to light in the impeachment hearings also it's now official record and it checks some of his power it it Mm -hmm. it it it, it puts it kind of puts a warning out there there's a shot over the bow that that this process is out here and you know if the if the republicans were on board in the senate as far as removal Mm -hmm. it would happen he's you know whatever 67 votes away from being removed from office right so uh i think i think that in itself is going to be a positive notion from it obviously now um, in my opinion, the kind of run up to the 2020 election is really important for the Dems. Oh, of course. So, uh, eventually passing these articles over to the Senate, letting them debate them and kind of work them out, but really kind of galvanizing the ambition of the 2020 run and, uh, removing him from office the only other way we can, which is not electing him again. So, yeah. um, 
Yeah, I, I, he was never like the the Senate. Just like it, like it's not the reversal of the Clinton impeachment in terms of like what he was impeached for, um, but it is the reversal on who was able to put forth the articles and then them being able to get exonerated uh, through a Senate trial. Um, I think things are a lot different in the varying intensity of like corruption and you know stop gapping that I think Mitch McConnell would want to do in a Senate trial. Because, uh, you know, uh, oh gosh, I think they want to bring uh, folks like uh, Mick Mulvaney and Michael Bolton to the stand because they can actually give further information on, like, you know, withholding the funds uh, from Ukraine and, like, th- what went behind that decision making. Right. Uh, because, like, those subpoenas that were sent uh, to to them were blocked by Trump uh, for the House uh, investigation. So, and I remember people thought, like, about waiting um, and making sure they could get it through the courts and everything, but he probably, we probably would be past the election right now, and I do think it's information that the electorate needs to have. I don't necessarily think it'll change what the electorate is going to do overall. Right. Well, we've, um, we've, we've spoken about that in the yeah. past where uh, the Republican voters and Trump voters are two different things. Mm-hmm. Whether Trump voters have previously re- voted Republican or not or even participated in the process or not, mm-hmm. they, they are a, a group of people that tends to not care yeah. what the impression of their candidate is. And so, you know, other Republicans, you'd say in the past, if their candidate had done something of this type of nature, they would ask them to step down and mm-hmm. they would support a different candidate. For some reason, these Trump voters, and uh, not always self-identified uh, as such, uh, w- refuse to kind of pay attention to the the nature of facts and cases and... Um, you know, any kind of mud that gets slung Trump's way mm-hmm. as, you know, blaming the other person. And so it's 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 going to be weird running up to that 2020 election with the impeachment kind of running parallel as well. Um, well, I, honestly, how those voters are going to kind of merge those two. You right. Because I think impeachment should be over by March. Like, it, right. it's, it's not going to. Well, it's I, running parallel for the next three months. Then. Yeah, I don't think it'll be. I think. See, uh, it'd be very interesting if you could hold off the articles of impeachment until after the uh, the primary season was over and then send him the articles of impeachment when he has to go out to the American people one-on-one and be like, I want to be your president again, but now I have a trial on me, right? right. Like, So I don't know. I think that's a little bit too much of a political power play because um, I looked into um, the first person impeached. I think it was, what, Andrew Johnson? 1868, yeah. Uh, right, and, and I saw some brief histories on that one, and that was because he abused his power in something with the secretary. I can't remember if it was the Secretary of Defense or Secretary of War, if they made that switch. I think it was still the Secretary of War, and it was whole about the Reconstruction effort and how much he wanted to be able to use U.S. military force to enforce certain parts of the um, the Reconstruction. So then he didn't like the way his Secretary of War was doing it, so he fired him. Yeah. Right? And then they said that went against, like, um, his A law pro- they passed, which yeah. barred the president from firing appointed officials, mm-hmm. including cabinet secretaries, without Senate approval. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and even that was on political lines because he got impeached, but he didn't get removed out of office because of one vote. So that that is very, like, if it was one vote on the other side... He would have been impeached and taken out of office. Uh, but the other two times, I, uh, 
it's already always been like the side of the president's party had the majority vote in the Senate. So yeah, right. Well, in in the case of Clinton and Reagan, or not Reagan, uh, Nixon, of course, was just like, no, I'm out. Peace. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna even gonna get impeached. Sorry. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it, it's an interesting list. It's it's an interesting list to be added to. Um, you know, over time, I mean, history been has been pretty kind to Bill, so mm-hmm. uh, Bill Clinton. So you know, I mean, Trump can probably survive this. Uh, it, both, I mean, Johnson didn't win a re-election. Clinton did. So um, well, but I Clinton, guess it was post. It was post the re-election. Yeah. yeah. So so this will be interesting. In that sense of having an, a sitting impeached president win an election, yeah, know? and and I think I think that will happen if we don't get enough turnout. If we get turnout, I think it'll be okay. But yeah, I mean, obviously, you, what you had sixty thousand votes over five states that really swung the election, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, those hearts and minds could have changed. Uh, I, it's it's an interesting thing. I wonder how the midwest is looking at this election the kind of there's a couple candidates you'd consider the midwest candidates oh yeah like klobuchar Buttigieg, and to a certain degree i think we said this biden, before, biden yeah with pennsylvania yeah. so so could we change and pennsylvania went to trump so that was like a huge um loss uh could could those couple of states that really swayed in the direction of Trump sway in the direction of the Dems this time, and how do you kind of orchestrate that? There's a bunch of purple states that Clinton won Mm -hmm. that could also just do the same thing, flipping towards Trump. So she's got to be careful in places like Colorado. Uh, I can't remember the exact winner of Florida, but I know it was really close, and it has been for the last four or five elections. Oh yeah, Florida is always Ohio is another one. Uh, You know, and so staying away from just focusing on those electoral college numbers you get from places like California, and actually winning these kind of middle the road states mm-hmm. that paint the, the 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 country red for the for the republicans we need to kind of purpleize those areas and lean them blue and, and hopefully you know pull the ohio the pennsylvania and the florida and and that really kind of sets it up for whoever is the candidate mm-hmm. to to take the office hopefully um you know the strongholds are getting weaker for the republicans as far as full yeah. full-on states you know he still they still have the the hard south mississippi arkansas mm-hmm. alabama and the like but like texas is on like a 30-year trend Te- that- texas is weird like if you told me three years ago that i thought texas would be purple i'd be like you fucking with me <laughs> yeah, and 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 it, it's debated right now by scholars whether it is or not for this election, or mm-hmm. whether it's just trending in that direction. Maybe another ten years, you could really see it be in play. Right. Uh, but there's people on the ground there who say the sentiment has changed, and that what used to just be kind of an Austin thing has become a San Antonio thing, a Dallas thing, mm-hmm. a Houston thing, as far as people wanting social programs and um, rights and things that are normally um, assigned to Democratic candidates in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And and you're seeing that evolve in the types of Republicans that are running in those areas, too. So um, we'll, we'll see. You, you know, I w- if both parties ran on honest premise... And 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 had the the nature of of a real look at the people as a whole. 
in their minds. I I like the idea of strong parties facing each other and forcing the narrative, kind of like I like competition in corporate America. You know, I think Apple is good for Microsoft and vice versa. But what happens is these backdoor politics and the say what I say but do what I want to do nature of politics Mm -hmm. makes it not appropriate and what we end up with is someone like trump who even the things he promised his own electorate he didn't do oh no because politicians lie like that that, we we know this yeah right (laughs) and and so that's a big problem also the nature of marketing and how even Mm -hmm. like uh internet ads and you know for for our day growing up the television ads Mm -hmm. how they skew the election and then they can be kind of hidden behind these pack groups and and these different types of funding measures so occasionally the candidate comes at the end of the episode and says i approve this message which is like oh yeah which yeah. is only coming out of like the bush gore election mm-hmm. um no one did that before it would just run an ad and you'd be like all right so that one's for bush um but it's interesting when you look at like in the uk and stuff all their ads have to be produced live Oh, and so they're they're given equal time, and so it's like, hello, the United Kingdom. I am Tony Blair, and I would like to, you know, and they mm-hmm. have to present their argument. And there's something about not having extra takes and not having the the aid of editing and and these um, kind of Hollywood esque marketing firms that are able to basically make a Michael Bay movie into a two minute spot. You know, uh, it ge- it brings a little more honesty to the to the conversation. Mm-hmm. That being said, they don't actually run for direct election because they're just running to to have the people vote for their party, and then the party chooses. So yeah. it's kind of a, a different scenario altogether. But but yeah, I you know I'm I'm not looking forward to the attack ads. I I hate political ads. Yeah. I mean, some of them make me laugh, but they're. They're usually garbage, and they do not age well. Right. We, we have video now, so, like, we, if we see one that's, like, particularly, like, mm, we can, like, post it and be like, hey, like, look at this video, and then, like, you know, crack on it or whatever. Yeah. Like, and, 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 yeah, check out the How You Live in Facebook page as well. We can we post different uh, links and, and stories, articles, and things we find interesting on the Internet. And, yeah, maybe in the coming days we'll post uh, ads that we think either um, – relate some of the sentiments of this show or ads that you know pose the argument in a negative way or that we see is is providing falsehoods um and i think the official slash is how are you living uh l-i-v-i-n in on the uh facebook page but you can just look up how you live in facebook you'll see it it's our logo it's black and white it's got our names on it Chaz simmons mikhail nielsen so yes it is actually how are you living yeah 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 so check out the the facebook page like and subscribe on the itunes with that discussion about the dims and the impeachment Mm -hmm. i think marty and doc have officially arrived in episode 86. Indeed. The fight in 86. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Chess, we are here in the episode. Late December, our, uh, yeah. bit of our look back episode of what happened here in 2019. What topics do you have for the people out there? Hey, people. Uh, I was going to talk about the debates a little bit, but before I did that, um, going back to that uh, the centrist podcast I listened to from Left, Right, and Center, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, one of the hosts on there, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but I remember uh, she's a Democrat that is from Texas, 
and then found that when she moved from Texas to the East Coast, like, I think she lives in New York now, like, the certain level of branding that, like, oh, you're from Texas, that means you're a Republican, <laughs> uh, sort of thing that I thought was really interesting. Uh, and I also thought it was really interesting that she, she made uh, the media uh, accusation, but more so that the media is uh, promoting um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez too much. Rather than uh, there's another woman who's just a few years older than her, or not a few years, a few months older than her, um, and is a, more of a, a moderate voice in the party. And it's all like, why is she not getting any shine? So I'm going to have to go back and listen to that and then, you know, look up this person and see what substantive policy things they're going for and, you know, see, see what they're up to since I guess we count as a media source and, you know you're going to call us out because i know that calls me out on miss alexandria ocasio cortez but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw i'm really like okay okay i see your point right um yeah i'm trying to think yeah and i thought that was pretty interesting and also i think more and more when i interact with more people who do want to talk to other people with other opinions they're definitely just like i, I think that this is the first time i ever heard that medicare uh, a public option was more fiscally responsible than Medicare for all at the moment. Okay. Right? Like, and that was one I was like, okay, that, that's a good, that's a good defense for that. And she also talked about, um, uh, the kind of vitriol she would get from different Bernie supporters, which I don't support that at all, but I definitely get like, and people have some, I guess that we just transition this into the debate, uh, because like people have criticisms of Bernie, like, uh, Bernie has never been able to get any piece of uh, legitimate policy through because he refuses to compromise. Um, and some people like that his uncompromising nature as a position of his convictions. Uh, but I guess it also makes you an ineffective politician. So, you know. Yeah, it <clears throat> and it, it's it's interesting because the country on the left really really wants change and so we're gonna we're probably gonna pull for bernie i mean as a show as a person who owes a lot of money to school debt uh <laughs> bernie is my candidate um in this election i've i've over the course of this show i've always pulled for biden i didn't understand the concept of a biden in the terms of this election now and i'm not liking it and i'm not liking the way that he's fighting against the kind of aoc left and and i think that's problematic going forward as far as change i think grabbing on the coattails of obama was kind of a wrong move i think he could have elicited that as part of his resume that he worked in the obama administration mm -hmm. but making him kind of run as obama 2.0 uh -huh. was probably misguided by whoever is his aides and 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 such um Especially in the face of needing to change the hearts and minds of a few of these Trump voters mm -hmm. in order to win the election. And so with that, although I'm I'm against the idea of a 70-year-old man being the kind of candidate of change for mm -hmm. America. Oh, no, totally. Uh, I'm, I'm on board with, uh, with Bernie, and I'm on board with Elizabeth Warren. I'm just worrisome of the the Trump versus Elizabeth banter back and forth and, and how she might handle that. Um, just given Trump's bully nature mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's, it seems like Bernie is going to be an interesting guy for that because he already is on like an 11 at all times. <laughs> like he's how you doing? Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to see you again. Like he's like, <laughs> like, like he just comes at you. <laughs> 
<laughs> Why are you calling me old? I'm barely older than you, Trump. You know, like he he's got he's kind of got this nature that it, it seems like it would it would uh, work in the in the bully world. Originally, I thought Biden would be good at that, but he's kind of failed at it. Even in the dim side, where he's kind of he he's portrayed really badly right now, given the last few um, uh, debates. In this most recent debate, though, he kicked a little ass. Yeah, and, and he kicked a little ass because he was on he was in a position where he had like the most experience, and that was with uh, foreign policy. Right. So whenever like he brought up foreign policy stuff, I was like, I didn't think of that, right? Yeah. And I think that, like, and I've also noticed um, he's still polling, um, like, the, the top polls. Um, and what I wanted to segue this into, like, right now, if, things, if the electorate stays what the electorate usually is, Biden will get the nomination, and simply speaking, uh, older voters seem to have like good, good out to the polls more than younger voters. But right now, younger voters do have more of voting power. So if younger voters can get out, like if you can get out there and caucus for the person you want to caucus for, if you can get the time off, I say go do it. Yeah. And I kind of want to extrapolate that into like the local elections here. Like I went to a Saturday debate for my local city council person and the majority of the folks in that room were over 50. And I think then after that you had some a sprinkling of 35, the 50 year olds. And I'm on the cusp of that cause I'm 34. But I think the only, I didn't see barely any, young adults uh any like anybody just out of a uh, college or anything there so a, a lot of the times like if that's the case and that comes out to those things if that's if that's what the electric uh, right. ele- electorate is mm-hmm. then we have a problem right exactly yeah so so my message is to you know young folk right whether you're gen z or millennial like if you can get the time off and you stand because a lot of the times if you look at the polls, especially uh, for black people, older black people are for Biden and younger black people are for a split between um, Bernie and Warren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so and so like, yeah, and I'm definitely like those are my two. I, I was actually talking to someone and they were saying like uh, between us two, like where would our middle be? And I actually was like, Mikel sometimes for Biden. I'm for Bernie, so I guess our middle is Warren. <laughs> yeah, 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 to a degree, yeah, I would say right. so. Yeah, and I'm, I, I always liked Biden in the, I, in the previous election. Um, mm-hmm. I, I ran him in my classes in political science against Clinton when we were doing the kind of trial of what 2016 would look like. Oh, okay. Obviously, we didn't, we had, we had Trump in the conversation, but we did not have him as the nominee. Mm-hmm. It was actually Chris Christie as the nominee. It's- and uh, we did a like a blind vote, you know, p- close your eyes, raise your hand up vote in the class. Mm-hmm. And Biden lost the candidacy to Clinton by one vote Wow! in the classroom. Wow. And so uh, and it was it was built a lot on our campaign. I had a really mm-hmm. good campaign team. Mm-hmm. I was the campaign manager. Biden was our candidate. We had a media guy who was really good at kind of like just scrolling through the Web at the time which is like 2012 Mm -hmm. and finding all these articles of things that Biden directly participated in Mm. and things that he directly participated in as Senator when he was Senator for Pennsylvania. And so we provided this real good argument of his 
candidacy through the lens of experience, which later is the measure that the Clinton campaign uses. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I stand on on this today, still to the point, saying if you went by paper, uh, like credit for credit, resume to resume, Hillary Clinton is still the most. Uh, qualified candidate for president of all time. Oh, 100%. You know, being a former first lady, being a former senator, being a former secretary of state, Mm -hmm. and a a trial lawyer and corporate lawyer, um, she, you know, and a master's degree, maybe even a PhD, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, she essentially stands above everybody as far as qualifications. Oh, yeah. Now, in practice, there was some problems. There were some problems about creating that that connective identity the thing that kind of surprises people about bernie that 20 year olds do connect with bernie Mm -hmm. and it's that lovable grandpa it's that fighting spirit it's the like coming out of the hospital after having a heart attack and Mm -hmm. being like i'm just excited to come back to work (laughs) right grandpa you almost died take a day off you know know? uh and, and so that's interesting um but yeah so i i was a biden supporter and i still am i i i do think you know, the negatives on Biden are still far below anywhere near the negatives that we have on Trump. Oh, of course. Or, or on, you know, other, you know, politicians that in, have come to light in the recent years of different scandals. Uh, but do I see him as a change candidate that can help kind of sway the left over to our side? Because one of the problems with Hillary was she abandoned that kind of AOC left, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of them chose to vote for uh, Jill Stein or not participate in the election at all in 2016. Yeah. Similar to what you're talking about with these Seattle elections where the room is just 50-year-olds, which is fine. We need 50-year-olds to be participating. Mm -hmm. But we also need 18-year-olds in that room. Yeah. You know, whether they're recognizing the specific discussions that are happening taking that information in over time and being a participant is what's going to adjust the framework of their minds as far as what they do when they go on to school or go on to a career mm-hmm. and as a voter, how those issues affect them and what they can do about it. Because I think another item of this show is we've always said to people, if you're listening to this right now and you've got the capability and time run for office, run for your, your school board, Run for your local mayor, run for the county auditor, whatever the position is that you can get into the circle of people that actually make change, mm-hmm. then host events and have conversations with the public. Yeah. And, and that book that we have up there called uh, Run for Something. Yeah. Pick up that book. Run for something. And, 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 you know, it starts at the school board level. So if you're just a parent and you're going to these parent teacher meetings and you're raising kids in today's environment and some of them are going to be hitting voting age these days, show them what it can take by 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 running for or however the election takes place in your county or state to 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 work on your school board because that is a form of government people don't recognize it Mm -hmm. but it 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 curtails the school year it curtails days off it curtails uh what types of curriculum are going to be happening Mm -hmm. in the schools what type of academics um are necessary to be participating in sports and out extracurricular activities access to things like running start early college those type things Mm -hmm. those are all ran at a district level by the school board and and it's kind of the basis of connection to government we all had 
growing up if we all were in public schools. So, uh, you know, do that. Look into your county elections, your city municipal. Run for state legislature. And ultimately, if you think you've got the, the gusto, run for Congress. Do it. Yeah. And, and one day we might be talking about you on this show as a candidate that we're interested in getting more clout behind them for an election. Because over time, what we're saying is we're going into these rooms and we're not seeing the change mm-hmm. that are reflected in the parties we go to or the dinners we have with friends or the barbecues where people talk about wanting change and talk about mm-hmm. wanting to be participants but they're not in these rooms and so find out where the town hall meetings are find out where these rooms are and take some time and go even if you go to one a year that's one more than you went last year and that's one more opportunity to brush elbows and be in the room with the people that actually do the change mm-hmm. so and, I, and I'm saying that to everybody and I'm saying that to people young and old and I'm saying that to people on the left and right and, I, and I'm you know I'm more of the centrist kind of person on this show and so I understand the ideals and I understand that if you sit there if you're like me and you feel like you're in the middle of these battles if you feel like you just want people to be reasonable and you want to be open to all cultures and all types and, and people to be able to come to this country and people to be able to work and, and, and you feel kind of a pull on both sides from people wanting you to be more extreme than you are. I understand that. But there might be a place for that voice if enough of us show up and and create an element where, you know, either other parties can arise or at least that vote needs to get kind of pulled into the framework because I understand that position. And I also understand the position if you are on the left and you're feeling like people aren't doing enough and people are alienating whole uh, sex and race of people because of ambition for money or resources or ig- ignorance to the problems. I get that as well. Make that voice heard. Then show up, you know, and reach out to the people directly in these rooms, you know. And uh, the better you are at at making your argument in a kind of calm and educated way, I would say prepare. If you're going to just do a speech, if you're going to wait for the the open forum part where they give you about two minutes, Mm -hmm. I would write down the bullet points of what you want to say. Oh, yeah. And and definitely the the strength of argument comes from the delivery. Um, You know, if you go in there with the passion that you probably have towards this topic and you just start yelling, people are going to take the offense side of that and not really listen to what you say. And I know we've shown videos on this show about... Uh, town hall meetings here in Seattle where a bunch of people are on cell phones and laptops and and that can be frustrating and I don't know how it's conducted in your area but just know that more than likely it's being recorded Mm -hmm. it's either being written down as minutes recorded audioly or perhaps being recorded by video and audio and or being broadcast and you can maybe request those images and or minutes and you can reproduce uh, your argument made and, and, and start a forum or start a an online kind of movement saying, well, I've taken it to the people in power. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's time those people are no longer in power. Yeah. So, so these arguments can get additional life outside those rooms. That's what definitely people um, ran on in this last city council election here in Seattle. <clears throat> and it was also like kind of what the, the centrist who felt, because like one, one, of the, one of the centrists was a part of the Republican Party, but then thought like, the Republican Party, paraphrasing enough, was morally corrupt, so he left. Um, and the woman, she was a part of the Democratic Party, um, and she left the Democratic Party because she felt, as times, they were kowtowing too much to, I guess, the far left, you might say. 
Um, and they said, like, moderates weren't getting that voice. Um, and funny, like, I look at that and I thought it was funny because I've never really thought about politics on party lines, like, at all. Okay. Like, it, it, it's very because I didn't grow up with a family that, like, we were Democrats. It was more like, no, my dad votes Democrat and my mom doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> right. And, and then it's it's more about the issues. Yeah, exactly. I'm more, I'm more left or right on policy than I am for... Um, than I am about party lines like and and I've always I've been independently minded ever since I was voting age but only registered independent because of my ignorance to what libertarians were actually were um yes there was a weird time in my life where I was registered libertarian uh but you know it was because I thought that was what you chose if you wanted the middle ground between both sides and you wanted to hear what both sides needed to say right um and I still do that like I still listen to conservative media and I still listen to what they have to say and none of it now based on my certain paradigm which is more based on looking at what is the starting line for every Everybody and where are those inequalities rooted in? Has they said anything that actually would affect that or look at it in that way? A lot of times it feels like our current political scope and things looks at um, the middle of the race and treats that as the starting line and thinks this is fine. Um, and right. so I do think you need a bit of a more radical voice to kind of shift that paradigm to say, oh, hey, maybe this thing that we thought was the starting line isn't the starting line. We need to shift our thinking to where the starting line actually is and then create policy based on that. Because right now, when we look at the at the supposed starting line, that's not going to be effective for the most people. Right. But, which is why, like, I would say I'm far left sure, but it's based more so on, like, these policies and i don't think you're gonna affect change for enough people but like i'm also pragmatic as fuck right so i i'm not i'm not bernie or bust i am uh, i'm gonna vote for whomever the democratic candidate is yeah even for like international relations alone right and i won't like that um some of our domestic policies won't be as progressive as i want them to be uh, but I also know that I can use a degree of federalism, like maybe here in Seattle, do what uh, New York City just did and institute ranked choice voting so more people have a chance to like come through and more smaller parties can come through and actually have their voices heard um, and look at other voter reforms. Because I do think like right now, for our political system affecting votes, like, you know, from gerrymandering to I, I think maybe something that makes me a little bit more big government that might be a little iffy to some people is I think that states are becoming a little bit too corrupt with voting rights. So I think voting rights maybe should be controlled federally. Um, and, and and I'm still like I haven't thought of it enough to be like, eh. but like right now when I see like just how much people like how much how pernicious it is to do things that don't look um like a big deal um on the surface when you really dig into it are a big deal and limit the voices of people in those particular states so that's where i think like a lot like like almost gutting out the whole system and rebuilding it from the bottom up that allows for the most voices to be heard everything from giving um people who are convicted of crimes the ability to vote again to making sure that polling places are accessible both by like distance and by like you know people might who have a harder time like you know disabilities or anything like that so it's so yeah that, and that's interesting in the sense of like so i studied uh political theory in school mm-hmm. and so a lot of it like in the original um 
kind of basis of the political science uh, is um, built on empirical thought. Mm -hmm. So the idea that something that came before us must have had some value, let's build on that. Mm -hmm. And then after that, there became uh, a theory of the paradigm, which was the idea of, well, let's look at the problem in the instance of the lens of what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And whether or not we agree with that, then let's associate ourselves with the paradigm we do agree with. Mm. That which throws out some empirical data because the empirical data in the sense of the paradigm movement could be wrong. Mm -hmm. And they go, we might be building on shit. Let's not build on shit. So let's throw (laughs) that out. And if there had to be good pieces of it, let's add it to today's paradigm. And then the interesting thing was this book came out um, probably about 60 years ago, 55, 60 years ago, called uh, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions oh, okay. by Thomas Kuhn, K-U-H-N. Mm-hmm. And, and his theory was radical change comes from a shift in paradigm. Mm. So the paradigm itself isn't the movement. It's the change of the paradigm that is the movement. And it's focusing in on the identity of that change that allows for political discourse. So you're not associating necessarily with any paradigms that are Mm -hmm. because the example isn't there for you. So the example of changing it is the paradigm that you seek. And uh, it's used and abused a lot in uh, philosophical circles is kind of the idea of this. But uh, it sounds like to me like like it would be an interesting book for you to read because I think it runs along... um, a political thought structure that you're having in today's kind of left world as far as like how do we pull the narrative in this direction it doesn't seem like the um djing by the center is doing enough uh high tempo music yeah. we need to pull that record off and we need a new re- we need a new dj mm-hmm. and and that's kind of uh the structure of this argument and and it was interesting it was uh you know there was two major classes that I had that really reflected big on kind of the social experiment thought. And that was one of them was uh, the political theory. And so we just went through all these books Mm -hmm. and, and it goes back to like, you know, I mean, uh, under God was added in the 1950s to, to our pins, to our, to our coins. And, um, you know, there's all this word about the, the heavenly spirit in, in all the documents of the founding fathers. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in, in, in the empirical data, uh, kind of early stages of politics in America, uh, religion had a lot to do with it, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a very kind of Judeo-Christian measure of that. Mm-hmm. And so part of the paradigm shift was trying to allow elements outside of that to be the framework, you know. And I think we can be ethical, moral creatures without, um, you know, reading that book on manners that our parents had to read, you know. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> you know, walking around with a book on our head to prove that we have proper posture, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and so that would be an interesting thing. And then the other one um, that I took when I was a, a brief uh, um, grad student was the methodology class. Mm-hmm. which which is um is is both a uh, structure of argumentation mm-hmm. and the methods to which you gather the information to get to the premise that you want to present mm-hmm. so how you can you you know for instance in the in the in the Trump era uh Trump voters seem to react a lot to emotion oh no of and, course and if you really want to get 
the crowd going, mm-hmm. you stir those emotions. Oh, yeah, you use ethos. Right. It's like logos, ethos, and pathos are like the types of arguments right. you can make. And there's not a lot of f- necessary for fact building or processes or all these other things mm-hmm. where in a methodology, if you were at an engineer's conference mm-hmm. and you were just trying to evoke emotion you would probably get not only not laughed off stage, you would mm-hmm. probably get pulled off stage by some mechanical hook <laughs> that one of the engineers developed while watching you bomb because you thought you could just get an impassioned speech yeah. when they want to hear numbers and they want to hear proofs mm-hmm. and they want to see things, you know? And so kind of using the, your, your, your argumentation and your methodology uh, is, isn't it, is, I think it's something we should be teaching in schools. I shouldn't have gotten it when I was 26 years old in um, grad school, you know, I probably should have heard these things, you know, at 16. Oh, yeah, no. You know. I definitely think that uh, Crash Course, um, the YouTube channel, um, it has good material and stuff like that. Because I've definitely learned that, like, yeah, like, sometimes I will, if I want to make, like, I don't like making emotional arguments. I feel like they're overall manipulative. But right. I do know they're effective. And, and that's kind of why I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, and as as a, as a comedian, we do we do them all the time, right? And I mean, I like the idea of telling a really nerdy joke that has a lot of facts and mm-hmm. numbers. I call them math jokes, and like <laughs> and like like nobody in certain rooms are going to get those. Right. And so all of a sudden, you're just playing to the emotion of people. You're mm-hmm. making them feel bad. You're making them feel good. You're taking mm-hmm. them on this roller coaster, and and people will remember you. Then they might be like, ah, he was so funny. Yeah. And then you're talking to your friend after the set, and you're like, I did nothing. It's like, and that's kind of the clown mentality. Like, when you see a clown, why are you laughing at a clown? You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. is it the clothing? Is it the face paint? Yeah. Like, what are they really doing? But they're evoking an emotion where you're like, the expectation mm-hmm. to enjoy it and be like, this is funny because it's clown is there. Yeah. Um, and not saying that Trump's a clown. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's a clown. Okay. Oh goodness gracious. Uh, uh, what else did you want to talk about today? I mean, anything on our look back? How was your 2019, Chess? You know what? My 2019 was weird because uh, I started at one job and then went through a layoff and then had like I guess a time where I like mildly floundered. Um, uh, and then like now now things are in the up and up, right? You know, like. The 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 was it one million dollar studios got like a little bit of a n- renovation yeah a little bit of upgrade right. uh, I offered to do a video podcast episode one <laughs> and Chaz said I would have to clean my room <laughs> eighty five episodes later we are here I just want that to be pointed out for the record oh no what the fuck that sounds about three me. years eighty five episodes later. And it and it looks nice. It does. It does. I think you spent the hundred thousand dollars well. The the Fabergé eggs, on the other hand, uh, I think you might have gone a little overboard. I mean, I got a tip, and someone said that they were gonna double in price, and I believe them. I'm yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um. Yeah. And so, uh, what else? You got some job ships. Um. Uh, how have things changed here in Seattle in the last year? What have we seen? Uh, I mean, I guess we we got uh, we had a city council election that happened, and some of the old guards stayed, and some new people came in because people didn't did, run for re-election. Did Durkin take over this year, or was that last year? No, that was last year. Okay, um, that was the whole big race between her and Nikita Oliver and some other folks. We we had the Amazon uh, head tax debate. Oh yeah, and then we won the debate, and then, and then they superseded and voted against the debate. 
and then Amazon left town. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know that part. was that was so that was so weird. I mean, and, and the thing is, now that we have another, I guess another four years with Cosmo Savant, and then it, it was looking like she wasn't going to get reelected, and that um, Egan was. But then uh, late polling and I guess all the young folks, because I, I, I guess it's, it's very interesting because I think uh, with a huge influx of tech workers um, and a lot of more density being built in Capitol Hill. Um, if you looked at the people who voted for her in, um, in Egan in the primary um, in that particular district, there was basically the um, uh, older um, homeowners seemed to be the ones that went for Egan. And the the younger apartment dwellers seem to go for Cosmo Savant. So I don't know if that means now, due to the nature of like you know apartment density, if um, those that voter base now is capable of outvoting uh, that block, and if they maybe need to like find some compromises and stuff. Because I know people who hate Cosmo Savant, and honestly, I haven't followed her enough to like have a real opinion. I know that she does some things like where she donates her money to charity, but the charity is a of her partner so there can be some level of corruption there and i think like what you were going back and saying about people who go out there and yell she's definitely a type of person who's in passion and will make up purely emotional arguments for things but for those who are for substantive policy she isn't like like she did the fight for 15 and and definitely now the fight for 15 is I think fully in effect because like the last ones were supposed to be for companies with like 25 people or less now have to pay their um, their workers uh, $15 an hour. So that was good. But other times, like I think it, it, one of my friends, it, basically all his image of socialism is her. Right. And and I'm kind of just like, oh, man. Right. So yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, no, <clears throat> she, she doesn't represent like. My decommodification of goods and services, which basically means I want a public option for a lot of things. Yeah. Right. So she, pe- she also famously supported the Occupy movement, which is an interesting yeah uh, background for her. I think prior to being elected, I think that was the year before. But she was like, because she, she was a um, she was a professor at uh, Seattle University, mm. and she actually allowed uh, the encampment to move from wherever they were downtown mm-hmm. to the Seattle U campus for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, um, that was interesting, which is a uh, tie in, you know, to, you know, the old, uh, that story sounds interesting, but let me make it more interesting because mm-hmm. it involves me. Uh, I, uh, started podcasting, uh, the day Occupy started. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, there was a march in Portland, and my friend, who I was his manager for his band, had some audio equipment, and we were plugging it into some Macintosh gear, and we were basically just going to hit record and start bullshitting. And we invited a couple friends, and one of the friends we invited was this kid, Damien, who, uh, if you listen to any other Knowledge Multimedia podcast shows, mm-hmm. uh, uh, runs and owns the, the Brew Happy show, uh, walked through the uh, Occupy movement to get to our podcast. Oh, wow. And so me and my friend Chris are just starting, and we're like, hey, we're doing this. What's going on? And all of a sudden, this guy comes in, and he's like, hi, I'm Damien DeBizer from the Brew Happy Show. 
And he's <laughs> like, I was just in town square and everyone was just yelling and someone would be like, man, fuck the Democrats. And they'd be like, yeah, fuck the Democrats. <laughs> and then someone else would be like, but whatever, fuck the Republicans. And they'd be like, yeah, fuck the Republicans. And then someone would be like, but these banks, though. And they'd be like, yeah, fuck the banks. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a really interesting movement. And like we were Googling it on live mm-hmm. air. Nice. And, and so I've always kind of had this strange connection to the Occupy movement and my podcast identity is like they were intertwined that day. And uh, and then, it, you know, in Portland, they ended up camping out for like 90 days. It was. Oh, shit. I it, didn't was, know that. It, was, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember up here at like Westlake Square or Westlake Center. I forget what that park is called. Um, but I remember there being talkers about the Occupy movement. But I think I was more of like a capitalist. Right. So I was kind of like the fuck is this what do you mean though but now i understand where they're coming from and i'm just like okay yeah i get it (laughs) right and well well folks outside of gary marshall's uh view on uh holidays there's not a lot of new year's eve specific movies and so i'm gonna roll back the clock a little bit for my segment where I interrupt the discussion on politics to make things lighter a little bit. And let's <laughs> talk about holiday movies. Woo. And uh, my all-time favorite franchise of holiday movies due to my age and when they came out is the dynamic duo of Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Oh, yeah. I refuse to acknowledge the other two three and Home Alone for the Holidays or whatever. Uh, Home Alone 3 interestingly enough i read the synopsis on wikipedia mm-hmm. uh no longer the wet bandits no it's a terrorist group linked to north korea Wait, that what? goes after the main kid in that so oh, Lordy. uh i might <laughs> i might give it a look-see just to see how they managed to tie that in uh but uh kevin McAllister, my favorite character of um christmas movies of course the couple of christmas movies people like to debate whether they are mm-hmm. officially or not gremlins both one and two are that. a Christmas movie. He buys the Gremlin as a late Christmas gift. Oh. And, um, of course, uh, Die Hard, uh, a Christmas movie, which people forget also Die Hard 2 also takes place during Christmas, but at the Washington, D.C. airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some Christmas movies you like, Chaz? Um, holiday movies, I should say. Holiday movies. I always liked the very Brady Christmas growing up. Okay. Right? I, I don't know why. Like, it would come in every year, like, in spoiler alert, like, uh, the dad, like, he's doing construction, and then it's, it's like, and then, like, he's supposed to be, like, under some rubble, and they're just like, we don't know he's alive. And then, you know, <laughs> they find him, and you cry, we cry. It, it's all that. Like, um, I think, funny enough, like, Netflix has a lot of like kind of lifestyle movie style holiday things like right they have, Hall- like, hallmark lifetime me kind mm-hmm. of yeah like the princess switch and <laughs> right yeah like they're they are so they're what you expect from that genre this holiday of season right she's a princess <laughs> she's a down on her luck media coordinator <laughs> What happens when their lives get intertwined? <laughs> Hallmark Media presents Princess Switch. <laughs> that's not like that. That's not like <laughs> unlike in this one. Vanessa Ann Hudgens from a uh, High School Musical plays uh, two people who look like each other. So it's like a, the Prince and the Pauper, okay? Right? Like so, like she's like you know 
Or Dave, the movie Dave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So it, it, it's kind of like that. And it's like she falls in love, and then, you know, Deuce like, I don't want all of this money. I want to have a normal pedestrian life working in a bakery. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Making tiny cupcakes. Right. It's made in 2016. And then there's another one. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it has uh, the woman who plays Liv on iZombie, and they're on their third one. Oh, and, wow. And yeah, I think. Is there a Medea Christmas? <clears throat> yeah, I think there is a Medea Christmas. There probably is. <laughs> I have enjoyed me a Medea movie. Like, <laughs> Ever or just in a while? Like, like I mean, I mean, I have. Or, okay. I, didn't, I, I thought I didn't say I haven't. No, but, you like, said I haven't. You're like, I haven't. Oh, 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 I was no, like, okay. Mm, no, no, I, I mean, I have enjoyed a Medea movie, even <laughs> though those things are silly as fuck. Right? Uh, but yeah, there is a Medea Christmas. Uh, I'm trying to think of any other Christmas okay. movies I like. Elf is obviously a classic uh, directed by uh, Mr. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who's doing John Favreau. Oh, snap. it's one of his early directorial uh, actions. And with Will Ferrell, which I've recently seen on YouTube cut into a thriller. Oh, my God. Which is pretty funny as uh, a trailer cut into a thriller. Um, of course, you've got uh, Christmas Vacation, classic 80s. Oh, yeah. Uh, Scrooged was a big one back then. Uh, the Santa Claus series. Oh, I forgot all about Tim that. Tim Allen. Oh, uh, a Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. This kind of a, is Halloween. This ca- is Halloween. Kind of a Halloween, Halloween Christmas Halloween, Halloween, crossover. Halloween. You had all your uh, t- TV specials, The Peanuts Holiday, uh, Frosty the oh, Snowman. Oh, Charlie Brown Christmas is my shit. Charlie Brown Christmas. It's my shit. Uh, the classic and always seen at like a like a, a mimosa party. Love Actually. Oh fuck! Is a is a Christmas party. Oh god! There's a Love Actually drinking. Oh my game. gosh! Oh here is the the Princess Switch. I just wanted to see what the uh, one week before Christmas a Duchess switches places with an ordinary woman from <laughs> Chicago who looks exactly like her, and they each fall in love with each other's bows. <laughs> Oh my god. Wow. All right. I'm putting it on the list. It's on the watch list. All right. Uh, But yeah, there's some out there, uh, you know. And then, you know, definitely, if there's ones that we miss that are your favorites from the uh, the holidays, Christmas Carol is always a good one. Um, You know, shoot us a a line over at uh, the How You Live in Facebook page or to our email box at HYL. B-O-X at gmail.com uh, before we let the listeners go about the rest of their 2019 I know right uh, what else do you have for them Chess? Uh, you know what not much else right I mean we're almost at about an hour and I think we had some pretty pretty stellar content this time yeah. uh, <laughs> if I do say so for myself right, uh, this fucking rocked right. <laughs> oh, brushing off my shoulder because y'all can see it swag on fleek Yo, wait I sound like an old person is did I just say fl- is that, did I just say <laughs> swag on fleek Gucci gang like Gucci did gang. I really just say that y'all I said that uh, I was just watching oh, a video from a Rick and Morty episode <laughs> recently and uh, one of uh, his sisters, Summer, starts playing snake jazz. Oh, my gosh. And and the girl jumps up, who's, like, in her room with her, and she's like, oh, my God, Summer, have I told you that your playlist is so on fleek? 
and like <laughs> and she's like this is snake jazz my brother <laughs> my brother got bit by a snake in space and killed it with a hubcap and so they had to scan the populace of the nation to find out a cure for the snake bite and they found this oh my god and it was snake jazz so that's, that's hilarious shout out to rick and morty uh as always you can get a hold of me at c-town mayor on the twitter sphere that's s-e-a-t-o-w-n-m-a-y-o-r i am your Elected official helping your municipality on the coast. And as the usual, I said earlier, the H-Y-L-B-O-X gmail.com. That's the show's email. Send us whatever you want. Sign us up for your rebates if you're out there. Just throwing in an email. No, I'm just <laughs> Don't do that. We don't like spam. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'll catch up with you in 2020. Chaz, how can they get a hold of you uh they can get at me at chaz underscore baz on uh, the twitter sphere and on the instagrams um i think now that we are less than 50 days away from uh, the first of the caucuses kind of want to start going on like what people should expect from that like how you can participate what's the difference between a caucus and i believe a primary yeah because uh, some have caucuses some have primaries uh, the whole we've done some things just like minor civics lessons on how many delicate delegate votes they need in order to get uh the nomination and all that jazz so like yeah probably this next time i'll do a little bit more in-depth thing maybe use some visual aids or whatnot who knows yeah and uh i think the next uh debate is going to be january 14th on cnn as far as the democratic side uh as always chaz this has been fun yes it's been a blast mikhail uh we out peace later I fight temptation, can't get lost in the source. Have I got a hard year? Of course, but I had to put my feelings on pause. As I got from a gun, it burns. When you realize she was never your girl, it was just your turn. You gotta face your demons, no matter how much money you earn. Your nigga said 4L, but the shit got real and you weren't concerned. The same old story, the world spins round and round, fam. Lessons have to get learned.